Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Brian Romain. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Quentin. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it a lot. For, for sure, Brian. So um, we're, we're going to have an awesome conversation, man. I'm really um, excited to kind of uh, take a, a, a deep dive into your uh, backstory. Um, but before we kind of move in that direction, I, I, I've got four questions I'd like to ask you. I like to call these the conversational uh, starter questions just to kind of get the conversational ball rolling, so to speak. So the first question I'd like to know uh, more about, Brian, and I'd like to ask you is how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most mornings and on most days? Yeah, so um, I wake up pretty pretty early, typically every day, just because um, by by day trade I work at a place called Bonfire Burritos in Golden, Colorado, and we open at seven a.m. every morning. And so um, I, I'm not one of our cooks, but our cooks, for example, get there at four a.m. to start cooking things and prepping. I get there at anywhere between six and six thirty at the latest, and then I start setting up the front of the house and the bar area, and open up our garage doors that open up our patio, turn the heater on, do all that sort of, you know, setting up for the day because we are only open until three p.m. and so we have a very short window where people get burritos and tacos. And whether it's a weekday where we're actually cutting, you know, breakfast off at 11 and switching to lunch or on the weekends when on Sundays specifically only we serve breakfast all day and we don't do lunch. So that is kind of like a whole vibe because Golden's a beautiful area to be in. People bring their families, their, you know, loved ones around and people get brunch until you know, three o'clock. So it's a whole thing. So I wake up every day around 5 a.m., 5.30 at the, at the very latest. Um, I make sure my dog has gone outside and I feed him. And um, it's a little bit of a easy task in the morning, like feeding kibble, but I feed my dog raw food. And so I have to cut up his pound patty for the day where it's his breakfast and then his, his dinner. And then I feed him his breakfast and then I save his dinner in a convenient con storage container that we feed raw uh, allows or gives you to, to do that. And so I make sure my dog's taken care of first and foremost. And then I kind of ground in for about 10 or 15 minutes before I actually leave the door while I'm let, letting my car warm up, especially right now in Colorado when it's colder in the winter. And, um, yeah, that's that's about a typical weekday for me. Um, or like, you know, like I said, a couple of days on the weekends that I work because my my week is four 10 hour shifts, Saturday, Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. And then I'm off Wednesday, Thursdays and Fridays. OK, for all the Colorado uh, dog lovers and just dog lovers in general, what What's your dog's name and and uh, what what type of dog uh, is he or she? Yeah, so my dog, his name is Oni, O-N-I. It's uh, after the Japanese demon lore. I did not name him. He came 
to me when I rescued him out of his situation. And he is a Chow Chow Akita Red Setter. And so he looks like straight up out of an anime. Like he's a little bear, fox, red, chunky little 50 pound ball of joy. And I love, I love him to death. He's, he's my best friend. Um, they, they're, they're really, they really are correct when they say that old phrase about, you know, man's best friend about a dog. And so he's, he's a total love bug. You know, he's, he's got great energy. And uh, I think also that has to do with me just feeding him raw food. Uh, we feed raw is a wonderful company that I work with and they are stellar about just you entering your dog's breed weight, age, and any other allergies, and they take care of the rest. They they calculate out the exact fit weight of food that your dog needs. Uh, they rep- recommend types of proteins for it. So he's just as happy as he can be. Yeah, yeah. I, I always uh, jokingly say, I but I think it's uh, pretty uh, spot on that Colorado is dog heaven. What do you think about that statement, Brian? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you used to live here. You understand the the dynamics. I mean, there's not a place in sight that I would call better than dog heaven just because we have we have dog oriented bars. We have plenty of walks that are all dog friendly, whether it's off leash or on leash. You have uh, there's a place 10 minutes away from my house called the Canine Corral, and it's just a big fenced in parked area that is set up straight up for dogs. I mean, there are bakeries and butchers and other things that make specific dog treats or, you know, other confections. So yeah, Colorado is definitely dog heaven. <laughs> All right. Um, what's your favorite book or a book that uh, you've gifted often and then if you do listen to podcasts, you kind of have a, a go-to podcast, Brian, or maybe a, a favorite podcast. If you want to share one or both, feel free. Sure. To yeah. One. Yeah. Um, you know, I've never, uh, the thing is, is I've only read a bit like a handful of books in my life. I will be the first to admit that, but the books I have read in my life are ones that really stick with me. Because my ADHD sometimes from a childhood, teenage into adulthood is always kind of scattered all over the place. So reading was always a challenge for me. And so um, the a book that I read recently that really put pers- things into perspective for me was A Thousand Essays That Will Change the Way You Think. And uh, that that book was was I, I think her name is uh, like Brie Renard, I think is the is the author. But um, that book, as well as um, Ram Dass's Be Here Now. You know, that's that was one that I got gifted by uh, shout out my buddy George Smith. He hooked me, you know, he's one of my best friends as well as we used to live together for about four years and three different houses. So we went through a lot of changes together and he gifted me that book uh, last Christmas. And um, that's, those are two books that really have resonated with me recently. And uh, podcast wise, uh, I'm a big fan 
of kind of all over the place, you know, because I do enjoy the proverbial stuff like, you know, Joe Rogan and uh, Tim Ferriss and, you know, uh, like, uh, what's his name? Um, Lex, uh, Lex, Lex, uh, Lex Friedman. And then like, you know, I, I also just enjoy podcasts that are like comedy oriented. Tom Segura and his wife have a podcast called your mom's house that leaves me side splitting. You know, it's, it's just a funny, good podcast as well as uh, bad friends with Andrew Santino and Bobby Lee, just good podcasts to take a laugh to and things like that. Excellent. Okay. In the last year, Brian, what life lesson have you been taught or have you learned? I think a life lesson that I've been taught most recently in the last year would be how to talk less and listen more. Okay. I want you, I, I love that, man. I love that. Expound a little bit more. Like how has that life lesson kind of come into your being and what are some examples of how that life lesson uh, has been learned this year uh, from you? Well, I think that my personality has gone through a lot of different molding as if it was like a block of clay um, and soft like that too, Mold, moldable like clay, not hard like marble where you have to chisel things away. I feel like that applies to me because throughout my life with the just overall excitement that I get from being so kind of wound up again from my ADHD that it's always made me nervous around bigger crowds or classrooms where I think is what stems from me like being a class clown or acting out because that nervousness is then band-aided when you like crack a joke or you do something funny and to do that you have to be unfortunately very interruptive very loud and boisterous as well as like risky in interrupting the vibe of life to like come in and be the court jester and so I feel like that's what I did for most of my life because I always thought that people wanted to hear that type of laughter and thing, which they do. But you also have to understand that there's timing, there's just knowing a crowd and really reading a room and situation where it's just better to not be the white elephant in the room or the black sheep of the party or however you want to phrase it. So I think that I've allowed myself to dial down a little bit and just with breath work and reassurance from good friends and family that it's easier for me now to just walk through a situation instead of sprint and so that just also goes with 
talking less and dialing down the energy and, and the fire inside and opening up the real canals for listening and knowledge and learning because that's allowed me to become a better like personal athlete because like I'm not a like athlete athlete I just call myself a personal athlete because I've had people kind of check me on that where I'm like oh I'm not an athlete and they're like no you are you're just like at home athlete versus you know somebody who is playing a professional sport because you're coming to the gym and you want to learn and you want to transform yourself and your body and your wellness and your cellular health. So you are athletic in that sense. But when I'm listening to people tell me about form, breathing, technique, and just overall how to do an exercise or workout, normally I'd be, you know, ribbing and cracking jokes and like reigning with comedy and stuff like that. But I've just learned that with coaching, there's not enough time for that type of just back and forth. So like we're there to get things done in an allotted amount of time. So it's the discipline has matured me into listening and that honestly carries out into my normal social life too. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into it more as well, but you know, I quit drinking three years ago. And so I think that has started to take its toll in the best way possible of returning me to a lot more normalcy. And my uh, experience, Brian, in terms of uh, listening more and talking less, that has allowed me to uh, learn more because if I'm always talking and if I'm always kind of the center of attention and interrupting and whatever, like I, I, I'm not, I'm not able to intake from others. Right. I'm not able to learn. If you, if you're not willing to listen, you're, you're not willing to learn. Is, is that something also uh, that, that you are, um, you know, growing in, in terms of being a better listener? A hundred percent. I think that that absolutely resonates with me. And as you were just talking, I was almost exercising in my brain because when I was a little kid, I could understand when someone would say to me, such as my mother, uh, shout out to my mother, by the way, she's been all support, the best mom I could ever ask for. I, I love my mom. But, um, you know, she would tell me all the time that like, I, I, I don't know how to let someone finish talking before I start talking. So that's a muscle that I've had to make a lot stronger and really like embrace getting strong is actually letting people finish talking. Now I'm not perfect. I still have so many, so many times and can think back to so many times, even recently where I still haven't let that settle in, but I'm doing my best to really make that forth like a effort to let people finish and have a pause before I start talking again. So it's respectful to their words that they've put out to the point where they know I've listened, they know I've processed it, and then we can continue our conversation. Love it, man. I, I, I highly, highly, highly resonate with that. So 
Um, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Brian. Now, let's wrap up uh, the conversational starter questions with this last one. Do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? Uh, yeah, so I would say my favorite quote that I've been kind of living by recently is, you are what you eat socially. Okay. And that, that yeah, go, go ahead and explain that for us. Yeah, no worries. Uh, that means to me, who you surround yourself with, the people you directly are in contact with, are most likely the people you resonate with the most. And if you spend the most time with those people, how does that quantify to you? Because to me, it's important that I spend my time around positive killers and just absolute good hearted savages because the people I like to surround myself with get after it, have grit and have tenacity, but they also have like heart and respect and love to listen to human to human, you know, just interaction. So it's, it's that, that's how I look at it is just that your, your team should be people who are inspiring you and doing better than you in the best way possible, because it's a yin and yang effect. And I grow off of those people. I I have never heard that quote. Uh, and I, I love it, man. That's, that's great. So um, okay, Brian, we're going to kind of transition into uh, your upbringing and your yep. backstory. So uh, let's start with where you actually physically grew up. And then I want you to kind of walk us through your childhood, you know, kind of those, those uh, tween teen years up to uh, high school. And then once you kind of talk about high school, uh, if you want to just kind of stop at that point, because then I'll kind of lead us uh in in uh, a direction from that point so where did you physically grow up and then just kind of paint that picture of uh brian romaine's younger years if you don't mind please absolutely so i grew up in overland park kansas uh technically i was born in kansas city missouri because the hospitals are located but yeah i grew up in a town called overland park in kansas city kansas so on the Kansas side. And my neighborhood was very bright, you know, uh, a lot of families, younger couples, older couples, good mix of just a good old Midwestern neighborhood. And the kids in my neighborhood, we all played together. We all grew up doing the seasons together as far as like when it was hot, you know, you ran around and went to the pool together. When it was cold, you ran around the snow and went sledding on the hills together or building forts or snowmen or having snowball fights or all the fun, cool kid stuff that you would do when, you know, it snowed in the Midwest. And then in the springtime, you know, everyone also outside, you know, a lot of sports soccer, baseball, basketball. <clears throat> I played one year of football. 
Um, so as, as a, as an elementary year child, I mean, I had a lot of full fledged, just good years of community and people because all my friends lived so close by that we could all ride our bikes, skateboard, or even just walk over to each other's houses. And, you know, this is the, you know, mid to late nineties and early two thousands where, I mean, cell phones were just starting to become bigger. And so obviously a child like me at that age didn't have a phone like a kid does today where, you know, they're 11, 12 years old with a cell phone, which I understand, you know, the, the times have caught up, but we just knocked on each other's doors or called each other from the cordless phone. If you were fancy enough to not have a corded phone in your house. Um, so it was all just like kind of, you know, play it by ear every day was kind of up in the air because nobody was texting anybody. Nobody was like planning stuff besides maybe trick or treating with for Halloween or like some sort of pizza party at the school, you know, something or a sleepover. That was always, you know, like, you know, boy, boys just all getting together for big, big sleepovers and stuff like that. So I don't know. I mean, it's just all typical Midwest kid stuff that riding your bike, you know, it's, it's, it's all there. Um, that that's kind of how elementary school was. Now I, I will say that there were times when I was a kid now in retrospect that I was like confused about so many different things of like just growing up that now, now they just, they, they make sense, even though they were a lot harder to process then. Um, you, you kind of think back as an adult, things that you got exposed to or saw as a kid that kind of make you the adult you are now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of spread all over the place because there was just times where it was like, you know, maybe you're just seeing stuff or being like exposed to a moment that just kind of makes you grow up faster than other kids and stuff. Just cause you know, I, I had all sorts of different situations as an elementary school kid where, you know, things like alcohol, drugs and cigarettes, porn, you know, all those things still come into play even at that, that age, whether you look however you look at it just because you know we had we had a kid in my neighborhood whose dad just kind of gifted him like a lot of just nefarious items we'll put it that way that just exposed us as children and so that was only like a very short amount of time that didn't affect me too long but it definitely carried into my middle school and high school years because um, they, they do it now with my niece and nephew where like you go to middle school or high school at like eighth grade, you know, or something like that. But there is like, I think maybe one still one year or something like one or two years of junior high, something like that. But 
it's just different because for me, seventh and eighth grade were one school or K through 12 or K through six and then seven, eight, and then freshman and, you know, typical high school years. So I just can't imagine being exposed to anything older than I already was. <laughs> so it's just, it's crazy just to think about the times now, but yeah, back, back in middle school, I mean, I'd say we're like the, the good years for me just because I skateboarded. I had a ton of friends that I skateboarded with. I was really into skateboard culture. So like getting VHS tapes of like, you know, skate videos and, and guys skating and just looking up to all these professional skateboarders and wanting to be a professional skateboarder, not knowing that it takes broken bones and teeth and just <laughs> all sorts of pain to, to, to get that good at something like skateboarding. So I was always helping my friends like film on, you know, um, eight millimeter cameras and, you know, old school cameras. Or if my friend, you know, borrowed his mom's Panasonic camera or something, we were filming and, you know, thinking we were professional skateboarders and stuff like that. But th those, those were the, those were the fun times of just no responsibilities, you know, parents encouraging to drive you around to skate parks because it's like sport like, but it's also edgy and it's fun. And yeah, me and my friends all learned cool little tricks. I had friends that super excelled in it. Um, like, you know, shout out to my buddy, DJ Stewart. You know, he is an excellent skateboarder. He's survived a leoblastoma. So like insane brain cancer to the max. He got on Tony Hawk's podcast. I mean, he's, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a hero. Now he works for Head for the Cure, which is a company in Kansas that he works out of that does like all around cancer research, re, uh, like fundraising events. And he does a bunch of events for them. So, you know, that, 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 that's, that was like one of my best friends in middle school that was a, that's, that's still a good friend of mine today. And then, I mean, by the time I was 14, you know, I was a freshman in high school. So it almost went a complete switch because the minute that I got to high school, you now have 2000 plus other influences that are putting it on you. So all the, all the skating and all the stuff kind of like started to lower down because social interactions with friends and girls and sports and just all around that age of things like clothing. Like I remember I used to beg my mom to buy me Hollister and Abercrombie because it was the cool thing to wear when it's like two years prior that to that I could care less if I was wearing, you know, anything trendy. And I was more into different culture that, you know, skaters didn't care about that kind of aesthetic. It was more about like, if you had a good board and bearings, <laughs> you know, it's if you were rocking bone Swiss reds, then you were, you were cooler than anybody on the planet. But it's like, 
I, I do remember that significant change as a 14 into 15 year old kid that for some reason it just social status mattered. You know, uh, I, beca- I, I joined the swim team and started hanging out with all the swimmers and then, you know, swimmers are friends with other people that play sports in high school. So you get invited to the parties and the after get togethers and the social gatherings that are all, you know, the popular crowd and the more just, yeah, popular. That's, that's the best way to put it is that it's, it's all the it kid, all the it kids, you know? And so, I mean, I, I just started kind of joining in because it's like, I was already a social clown. And so making all the jocks and the cheerleaders and the everybody else mixed in, you know, it's like party. We had the parties were everybody, you know, you had the artistic, the drama, the jocks, the cheerleaders, the band, you know, folk, the, etc xyz everybody hung out together because everybody agreed on one thing in high school and that is that alcohol and weed and all the experimental drugs are right there for the taking so that's that's when it started for me because like i was in eighth grade the first time i ever had a sip of alcohol from you know like a party that I remember it was like my buddy's birthday and, you know, everybody was, you know, hanging out and then people left and they busted out the Captain Morgan and the orange juice and everyone's all taking shots. And yeah, I mean, it's just, that's your first exposure of like, just what, what is, what's all this stuff that you see in movies or you hear about or, this you know whatever and so it kind of just becomes like an open open door game at that point because once you know that it's not going to kill you on the spot something like alcohol now that's you know not saying that it has ever before for people but i'm saying when you're a kid and you're taking little sips of booze that is going to just ultimately get you super drunk because you've never done it before you just start climbing up that ladder where it's like you know weekends we were all getting together to play beer pong and just hang out and you know smoke pot and try ecstasy i mean it just it all fell into at one point like you're just an innocent kid up until about 13 and then just exposure after exposure after exposure after exposure it just every you realize that everybody in your high school is doing the same thing you're doing and so you want to join in and not feel you know left out quote unquote and so that's where i just kind of had joined in where it was like most of my friends were doing drugs drinking and experimenting all over the place. So that was kind of like 
a part of high school, but not every single part. Obviously, there were still so many times where everything was normal keel. You know, I had a great growing family growing up, a great upbringing, you know, spent a lot of time with my siblings and did all of the just normal standard teenager growing up you know it's like video games and computer and social and family and school it all just became routine you know it all it all became a routine at one point where you realize at one point you're not paying bills so you just have this cycle of whatever it is you do you know now in retrospect as an adult it's pretty interesting where it's like bills work other things that you hear about people talking about when you're a kid is now the wave of what you do and you know it's like i remember not understanding when when i was a kid when my parents would be like ah man gas is up another dime and you're just like it's just a dime. Like, it's just get like whatever. But that, you know, that, that adds up to lots of different comparing. If someone's going to have cheaper gas now, I understand like, Oh, I'm going to go get that. And, oh, I, I see that. And it's, I see all these tendencies that my parents or my dad or, you know, individually him or my mom just, you know, would put off that I now understand, but it's crazy because I think about, my childhood, my middle school years and my high school years all the time, because I think that there was a part of me that was very scared for a very long time that kind of turned into why I got into, you know, so much trouble in the later years. And, uh, Sorry, that was just my my phone. But um, yeah, so much trouble in the later years. Why things just kind of started to pan out in a different way. And I try to use that as something that is like a growing experience, just like anybody would go through. I was just a kid. You know, there's there's a lot to unpack there. But at the same rate, it's like, I am, I'm thankful for it because even though I've gone through so many different trials and tribulations in my life, I really wouldn't have it any other way because, you know, I'm 32 now and I think life is like really just getting started. You know, I I feel like life is really just starting to crank up now. And that's okay with me because, you know, I didn't really sacrifice my youth or my childhood for anything. And I did a lot of risky stuff, but I just really wouldn't have it any other way because those types of hard lessons have shaped me into the man that I am now. And I'm thankful for those lessons because they really taught me hard, hard reality of how things can either shift in direction 
And I just, you know, I wake up every day grateful that I'm alive and that I'm able to take this next 32 years as an example from the last 32 of how I would rather live, live those, these next three plus decades. Cause the RZA from the Wu-Tang clan always says you have your first 40 and your second 40. And so I feel like I'm creeping up from my first 40 and those first 40, you learn so many lessons, so many, so many lessons and you're taught so much wisdom if you allow it in, if you allow that wisdom to come to you, and that's where it brings back to talking less and listen more, because I'm trying to download what people are saying now and actually like tune in to the important stuff because, you know, it's fun to make people laugh and do all the good comedy haha stuff, but like I'm not trying to be a class clown anymore. And I'm really not trying to be like a life clown. So I'm trying to actually like level myself up and dial in to optimize for my best self. And that doesn't really happen if you're just blabbering about stupid shit all the time, because you could take two seconds. I can, I can take two seconds. Like that's the one thing I've learned from, when I went to rehab is that it's not about saying you should, you need to, you got to, I always reframe it now in this is how it worked for me personally. And so do what you will with it. Cause I will never should on anybody as a Mark Murphy from Wookie foot quote would say is don't, don't should on me and I will not should on you. Excellent. Okay. <clears throat> Let's uh, let's talk about post high school because obviously you're you're touching on some uh, you know uh, ups and downs in your in your life after uh, you know those teen years and those younger years. So when you graduated from high school, just start unpacking kind of uh, your life from that point. Uh, talk about rehab that you kind of mentioned a couple minutes ago, and um, let's let's just get into the nitty gritty, Brian. Absolutely. I mean, I'm I, that's what we're here for, you know. So post high school, all my friends were going to the same colleges and some, some were not some, some were definitely getting accepted to other universities, programs, military, that sort of nature. I didn't want any of that. I, I wanted something different that really spoke to me and in 2009, yeah, so the October of 2009, so I had already graduated because it would have been that fall. And so, you know, it's you're fresh graduated from high school. Everyone's figuring out where they're going to go to college and all that. I was at a party in Lawrence, Kansas that someone was DJing at. And it was a friend from my elementary school. It was somebody he had grown up with that flew out from Texas. Um, and 
when I met him, I was like, dude, your, your skills are so awesome. He's like, yeah, I just got these new CD DJs. Like it was the newest technology at the time. So it was like, I had only seen turntables. I had never seen like CD DJs. I was like, this is crazy. You're putting like CDs you made and scratching on. Okay. So I was just like mind blown. And yeah, this kid Jackson was like, yeah. So like, I'm going to this program right now in Minneapolis where I'm learning how to audio engineer and record and like work in a studio and, you know, how to actually record music. And I was like, dude, that is so dope. That is so fucking dope. Like how, how there's a college for this. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, it's a school in Minneapolis that is uh, called the Institute for Production and Recording or IPR for short. And uh, yeah, man, they, they teach people how to work in a studio. They help you with instrument recording, vocals, you know, all the professors are all working industry people. They even have business classes on music business. So I was hooked. I, I was, I was absolutely obsessed. I'm, I'm typing in the computer, you know, all this stuff. I'm calling these guys, getting them on the phone and I'm just obsessed. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, it took like a year, maybe, maybe less of convincing my folks to, yeah, probably like six months of convincing them that this is what I wanted to do. And, um, reluctantly enough, you know, they, they helped me get to Minneapolis and go to this small little tech college that was quite expensive. And, you know, it, it, uh, it just, it was one of those experiences that I'll never forget because being able to move to Minneapolis and start this like whole chapter over where nobody knew Brian Romain they, they, you know, I, I wasn't going to the college parties where people I grew up with or knew from high school were at and could kind of treat you the way that they just would, you know? And so it was all new. It was all brand new, new experience, new kind of unique college, like different than other colleges. And so I was stoked. I was absolutely elated to be in Minneapolis because, you know, I just started meeting all these new people, <clears throat> you know, I was, I was meeting all these new fresh faces that had never seen me in life ever. And so they, we got to all start as like younger, newer folks. And some of those people I'm still friends with today, you know, some of my best friends are from Minnesota. And so that's what really started like the the best of the kind of mixed emotion times because the the first you know year was was like pretty awesome in Minneapolis just because of college social friends networking concerts music you know, I was going to a music school, so I was like always going to a local show or 
band or DJ or something. So I was out five, six nights a week and, and wouldn't have it any other way. And so, you know, that's where all of the kind of after scene partying also started to kick it up a notch because you're not really like gathering in your friend's mom's garage to sneak around a few beers or some whiskey and one cigarette and, you know, maybe play some beer pong or a party if parents aren't home or something like these were 19 to 25 year old people that had their own places. So it was like, you know, that first exposure of being like, oh yeah, I guess like you do just live on your own at the same. It's not like weird anymore. Like you have your own apartment. Whoa. Cause like, I remember there is one kid in my high school that, um, his parents were like somehow connected to the airport. Like they were like part somehow money with the KCI. And so like this kid was 16 years old and had his own apartment because his parents just like, were like, yeah, like we'll just pay for you to have your own place. Like it's easier for you to, cause instead of living out by the airport, you can live by your high school. And it's like, they're like, Alex has his own apartment. Like, so being now in the younger adult years where yes, people live together, roommates, own situations, this, that third, um, that, that allows you to have no parents, no rules, no supervision around so that you become the supervision so everybody who's drinking in excess volume taking drugs experimenting with all of the things that becomes your life because it became my life because like <clears throat> you know you go to school all you talk about with other music people is the show that night or the can't wait for the after party because like all you think about is just the next party, the next high, the next rush, the next drink, the next smoke, the next everything, because it just, it takes you over because everybody's doing it. So you think it's normal and it's just the more adult scarier version of what kids were doing in high school behind closed doors, because there's only so much you can do. And like I had just said, once you're a young adult and there's no parents or guardians or anybody to say no, or no, you shouldn't do that. Or that's bad for you. Or that's going to lead to other things. Nobody's around. So it's just, it's all, it's all free for all. And so, you know, it's like, it, it starts with the smallest of things where you start smoking weed and cigarettes every day. Then on the weekends, you're doing Molly and cocaine. And then you're drinking on a weekday before class in the morning, you know, or you're just smoking ungodly amounts of pot before, you know, school and 
that all stemmed from high school into college because like the hard drugs and the drinking no but yeah like it it all starts with small stuff where you know gateway however you want to i'd say alcohol was more of a gateway drug for me than anything but you know marijuana is still there too and so it's like it all just plays into each other you know you really these days now that i've gone through what i've gone through I really wouldn't say one thing is more of a gateway than the other because I had plenty of friends that tried harder drugs before they even smoked pot. So it's like your influences, your choices, and you as a person are all factors into it. So whether you chose to say yes or no is just the only difference because i do know plenty of people that i grew up with that always said no and never have still never tried any of those things to this day and so it's kind of crazy because i used to not think when i was drinking and doing drugs all the time that it was that big of a deal you know it's kind of just like everybody does it everybody you know Blase, blase. But, you know, nowadays that I've been sober for three years now, it's it's really not that normal, but it's not that wild. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's something that so many people can relate to where the abnormalcy sort, sort of starts to get into the weeds with statistics because you're like if you were to ask one in five people did you ever try alcohol in high school i mean nowadays maybe not so much just because of the way that the 90s and the 2000s kind of just you know showed so many examples of how drugs and alcohol will take effect that I think kids today see a little bit more on social media or like have exposure to different things that are video and stuff. Like we had VHSs and a teacher that was like, don't drink and drive or, you know, the more hard stuff where you would see, you know, the parents of kids that got killed in drunk driving accidents or drug overdoses and stuff, which always led by example. But by the time you're 21 and you can legally drink and you have everybody around you snorting cocaine and drinking and smoking pot and cigarettes, it's just, it's all normal. So that that's what was normal for me for a really long time is, you know, I work, I go to the bar or the club or the show. I drink, I smoke. People pass me baggies of drugs and I just do them because you just want to just everything all at once now forever. You know, when in 21 to 23, I was just like housing drugs and alcohol because it just, 
felt great to be that young and free and every night was a party. So it's like, why not? You know, I mean, I worked at a bar and grill where I cooked and, you know, slung pizza at night to people who were going to a bluegrass or a rock concert anyway, next door or the place that I was at. So like, you know, people knew me as like, oh, dude, we can go like, you know, get pizza from Brian and then we'll go get beers afterwards. We'll be out all night and we can just walk to his house because he's got a party house and he lives seven blocks from, you know, because I worked at a place called the Whiskey Junction and the Caboose was the venue next door. So it's two music venues right in the heart of Minneapolis it's cold all the time unless it's the summertime. So everybody's got a flask or something on them because it keeps you, you know, quote unquote warm when it actually just thins your blood and makes you colder. But yeah, it's just the culture was so just full on ingrained in drinking almost every day whether it's bloodies in the morning with a beer or drinking hard alcohol and beer throughout the day. I mean, just if you're not working or on the clock somewhere where you have to like be responsible, you know, you're, you're out, you're out like having a, a life shifty, (laughs) you know, just because I don't know. I, I, I just fell into that trap of just like, Drugs made me feel good. Alcohol made me feel good. So, like, my body was processing it fine. You know, obviously, I'd be hungover and depressed a lot because of the after effects. But then you just keep doing more. And and it all just blankets over each other. And it's just a lifelong cycle of, of doing that. And then, you know, music festival culture became a part of my life for the last like 10 years. You know what I mean? Like I've gone to dozens and dozens of music festivals where you started to be more comfortable with your habits because then it's like, not only is everybody doing it, every single person and the band is doing, you know, it's like, it's a whole vibe. And so Compound interest is a real thing, even with working out or partying and doing drugs. And so if you just do that over and over and over and over and over again over the years, it starts to take a toll on your your skin, your brain, your organs. So by like 25, 26, I was still partying like that. But man, I was getting sick all the time. I was like definitely just hung over for days on end because it just was like not working anymore. And I was still caught in the trap of doing it all the time. You know, it's, it's just the like goes back to what I was talking about earlier with you are what you eat socially, because I was only hanging out with, the opposite of what I said earlier. 
drug addicts, party animals, good people. No, nobody, you know, good souls. Nobody ever like did me that dirty or wrong or, you know, anything like maybe a couple of like leave you stranded in the moment because somebody darts out of the door because they're high on drugs or alcohol and they think something's happening. So they just leave or some sort of situation at a concert or something where it's like your ride goes, goes missing or something, but nobody ever like stole or do it, did anything really wrong to me where I just, it just became a thing of just like, over time, you know, that, you know, you're only hanging out with the people that have the alcohol, the drugs, the next party, the next scene, the next concert, the next gateway to go to, you know, the next thing to just keep never ending this cycle of, of all of it, because once you run out of something, then you'll go get one thing or you'll, you know, this and everybody's always clawing at the bits for the next drink, the next high. And so I was becoming not necessarily what I would make fun of, but what I feared, Mm. what I would only see in the intervention shows, the drug documentaries, you know, it's, and it, it can happen with, just a few different substances. It doesn't have to straight up just be heroin, meth, PCP, like the super, super hard drugs. You know, it can, it it dials back to anything, you know? My drug of choice was always alcohol and that lowers your inhibitions to do any other drug. You know, when I was drunk enough, I just said yes to, all the things because you're just so loose in your cognitive, you know, thinking that it just isn't anything else that is like gonna, it's just not going to help you. You know what I mean? So it was always just something that was like kind of in the background where, you know, I was always just like, kind of just result it just always resulted in in me resorting back to you know something because whether it was the two relationships that I had been in where like one was from 23 to 27 and another one was about 20 the end of 27 so beginning of 28 to 29 years old and those are the only two relationships i've ever been in and you know compounding those two relationships with my off and up because it was I, I wasn't always on there were definitely times where i tried to get clean and tried to just dial it back a lot where you know it I I tried but um when I was 23 I got my first DUI and 
that was sort of, you know, that wasn't really a wake up call by any means necessary because I was still in that mindset that like, all oh, this is bullshit. Like they got me on some dumb trumped up charges. Like this is stupid. Like I wasn't even like, you know, uh, uh, excuse, 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 excuse. So that, that just went, that was a slap on the wrist. The Minneapolis court didn't do like anything. They just made me do like a year of unsupervised probation that I was able to move out to Colorado and finish and wasn't even like ever talked about again. Then in 2018, I got my second DUI. So that one was a little bit more serious because nobody and all all the I've never hurt anybody I've never crashed into anything I've never you know but that's still not that's that's not my excuse and or never will be <clears throat> and is uh, just something I'm laying out on the line but you know my second DUI by that time I was a full blown alcoholic I was I was like full-blown hiding it from the world but drinking all the time in my off like if I was just like living life I definitely had something on me mostly vodka just because like such a such an idiot I would always like have like chewing gum or toothpaste on me and I would like you know chew a bunch of gum or squirt toothpaste and swishing around, swish it out with water or something after I just drank like an obscene amount of vodka just because I'm like, Oh, well like minty and it'll like, I'm like fret. Like maybe the stinging alcohol smell will be like minty or something like d- dumb, dumb, dummy. And so, you know, I just was always like, figuring out a way to think I was hiding it, but you realize every single person can smell you. Every single person can feel how drunk you are around them, no matter how much you're (laughs) keeping a straight face or, or anything. And so, I mean, it just was like, like what's like naive I was naive very naive to the fact that I was like that deep in my alcoholism because you know I mean there are just things in my lifetime that have compounded in different years from when I was a kid to being an adult that you just don't really want to think about anymore And you, um, I don't know, you just want it to kind of go away. And so that's where alcohol was always like the biggest thing for me because it was, I could like drown in it and like the, the liquid and the volume and chugging it just, I don't know why, just like, just put me into this space to leave where, 
it just felt better to be <clears throat> like isolated in my room wasted than out in the world but you know that doesn't stop your blood alcohol level or when you operate a vehicle and any of that matter you know it doesn't matter it's still illegal it's still not good it's it's, it's terrible and so yeah i was really wasted and i was driving to the liquor store like a few blocks away and uh somebody saw me in the liquor store just wasted out of my mind buying booze and so when i was leaving a civilian called the police and they followed me to my house and i was fine i didn't like i said i i you know um swerved and almost hit some stuff on the way home but like everything was fine in the grand scheme of things but not a good look at all police were waiting for me when <clears throat> i got to the house questioned me for like an hour and then arrested me took me to the like detox unit and i was getting so sick that they had to take me to the hospital and i had acidosis of the liver and so i had to stay in the hospital for like i think eight hours or something like that while they monitored me and had me on iv and um yeah my my poor girlfriend at the time like came and came and got me which you know i i was thinking like well if i quit then like i'll be fine and we'll be fine but like she was very supportive at the time but nobody should ever have to deal with that kind of crap and so like i understand where slowly the resentment built and then when I had to do 21 days of work release, um, some infidelity was committed. And being a raging alcoholic idiot that I was, I just didn't take it the right way, was very threatening, was very vocally violent. You know, I put out a lot of empty threats. I kind of you know chase down on social media you know i went down that all the routes you're just not supposed to do of um anything and here i'm going to continue but if i'm going to grab my phone charger so my phone doesn't die and yeah. in the edit that'll That's we can good. edit that so i will continue in 0.2 seconds yeah yeah i appreciate you oh i appreciate you my man all right let me grab this guy and then we'll Boop, boop, boop. All right, cool. So yeah, um, I, I realized that as that was like happening, that I was like losing a part of myself, even though I was <clears throat> saying all these nasty and terrible things to the world, to my now ex-girlfriend and, you know, her partner and stuff. It just, it just, it's kind of the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with 
because you think at one point that you have community or friends or anybody to like back you up. And then when you really realize that like most of those people were your girlfriend's friends and that you have kind of been doing your own thing for so long that your friends are in different states because like these all happened between Minneapolis and Colorado. So like the first one was in Minneapolis. The second one now that I'm talking about was here in Colorado. And so they take DUIs just way more seriously out in Colorado where they discovered I had the first one in Minneapolis. So they charged me as my second, which makes complete sense. It's not like it should ever be any other way. And, uh, that's when in 2018 is when I entered the system because I got put on probation in 2018, um, sentenced in 2019. And I was supposed to do two years of probation for Jefferson County where, you know, you just complete it. You do all the DUI classes and the work and the community service and probation and, you know, UAs, all of it. And so I completed all of that. And, you know, during that time, I was able to work on my relationship with my then girlfriend and things were going well. We had moved past a lot of different situations and I thought things were great, but I could never tell because I'm just the king of oblivion um, that she was just not like slowly over time happy with me at all. And so in 20 and, and I, and that this time too, I, I had been sober because like I had to take UAs for, for my drug. Cause like if they see alcohol on your drug tests, like I would have gone to jail. So it's like just a big deal. I'd already gone to jail. I was like, no, nah, I don't really want to spend any more time there. Like, thank you. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> ultimately, but I, I just tried my hardest to make things work the best that I could. And despite my efforts and or failing, uh, my partner, my girlfriend at the time decided to, uh, you know, leave me in 2020 <laughs> and she, uh, you know, she, she decided to start her relationship with the, with the person she committed infidelity with me, you know, in a professional, I'm just going to say that is the most professional way possible. So we can just leave it at that. Um, and that honestly 
really just messed me up. Um, I thought I had like put in at least enough, like, I, I don't even know, you know, I, I don't really have words for it anymore because I understand now why it was just the how at the time that I couldn't really put into words. So being the very smart individual that I was, I started drinking again because it was such a deep pain that alcohol was the only thing, unfortunately, that did anything. And this was also 2020. So COVID had just happened. So they stopped making people on probation take UAs or see their probation officers in person because taking drug tests would be the ultimate place to get COVID. And seeing your probation officer to the judicial system was also the number one place you were going to get COVID. So my probation officer kind of was just like calling me once every three months. And I didn't have a UA at all. So like I called every single day, nothing for three whole months. So shooey, I went off the absolute wagon because it just started with simple, you know, hard kombucha or beers because I was like, yeah, I won't, I won't really get into hard liquor again. You know, I've already kind of gone down that road. And then it was just like one day it was like, yeah, I'll, I'll get a shooter. And then I'll, I'll get, I'll get like two. All right. I'll get a fifth. Yeah, actually fuck beer and anything at all. I'm just going to get a whole liter of vodka and start drinking those. Cause I'm honestly throwing money away if I just buy beer and other such addict brain behavior that it just was slowly creeping into the, the worst of the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde series is what I really call it. Because if I was like normal and talking to you, like I am now, you know, it's totally Dr. Jekyll, just, experimental normal but then you start drinking that booze and you start kicking back more than like x amount of ounces switching right to mr hyde just because it just is like i don't remember anything i'm angry i'm belligerent i'm sad i'm like crying and screaming then i'm super happy and i'm all over the because the manic is just terrible and so That continued for pretty much the the rest of, you know, from January to about April was when it was like, it's all time worse. Because if you think about it, 
I've kind of been an alcoholic or I was an alcoholic for a very long time. It just slowly turned into rock bottom versus what I would call most people's stance right now or what I see is like, well, dude, I'm not in trouble. I've never been in trouble. I'm not going to get in trouble because like I take Ubers. I only drink this much. I don't drink on these days or these times. And this is the Super Bowl is the only time I have like six beers. And it's just like, okay, I respect that. I totally understand that you have a relationship that's healthy with your drinking and you've just chosen to live that life. Like, you know, that's, that's all fun and games, but you know, when, when it was always a utility to party and drive, 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 drive down, down to the ground, like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's just, I don't know. It just like, even on my worst days of like getting sick and just not wanting to even get up to live, I still had enough energy to reach over to that bottle and chug, 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 because for whatever stupid reason, it just like brought me this very dark joy to, to drink my life away because like, I I bought into the idea after a while that I was a loser. I was not very well liked and that pairing with that, nobody really wanted to be around me. So therefore, why not just drink with yourself? Because like, you can just be alone, not bother anybody, and then just drink. But what do you know? In April of 2020, I got my third DUI. Well on probation for my second DUI. So I'm hungover to the gills sitting in my lawyer's office giving him another $2,000 in retainer fees, putting it on loans from my parents and other family members. Horrible. Just no parent should ever have to experience what my parents have gone through and shout out to them for being so supportive and so helpful while also being very hard nosed and boundary lined drawing humans that helped me honestly grow more than anything, because if they hadn't have been that helpful, but stern, I don't think I'd be alive. And so I told my lawyer that I understood the charges that were coming my way and I understood how heavy this was about to get, but please get me into a rehab. 
I need, I need help. I said, and those are the three words that changed my life forever. I need help because I really needed the help, whether anybody wanted to admit it or not. There were things that were, you know, coming up from my past and my current life at that point that were destroying me on the inside. And I didn't know who or how to talk to anybody about them because they were just taking over to the point where I was spending all of my money and time on alcohol because the things that, you know, hurt me the most were, were dragging and dragging and dragging and not getting solved, but still so present that I felt like I needed to drink and drink and drink. And on the outside, that's really hard for people to understand because some people will be like, well, why don't you just stop drinking? Why don't you just, just quit? And you're like, well, you know, it's, it's just not that easy. And so then there's other people who don't know what to say because it's so shocking to see you behave like this, that you're the only person they've experienced act like that. So like, this is new for them. So they're like, they're only going off of your reactions and then misery loves company. So I was always one of those people who unknowingly always drug other people into my projection and projected onto other people and would always just say very cringe things to people because I was, sad and didn't understand how to process my own emotions and feelings. So then uh, September 13th of 2020 was the last time I had a drink of alcohol. September 13th of 2020 was the day I went to rehab. And September 13th of 2020 was the day that my life changed. Because the day before, I had bought a bottle of Kettle One, polished off most most of it, and then the morning of the 13th, drank the rest of it. The rehab came and picked me up at like, I think like three or four in the afternoon. So by that time, even though you could probably like still smell the vibe, it wasn't like other days where it was like, whoa, you smell like a distillery. Like you are on one, brother. So they came and picked me up and took me to the rehab like house because there's two 
there's two men's houses and then there was one women's house. And so, you know, I arrived at the, at the men's house and, um, they immediately made me wash all my clothes because they stunk like weed. And so they were like, yeah, we can't have you be triggering anybody or anything like that. So, you know, you're going to need to wash all of your clothes like tonight. And so I was like, all right, okay, cool. And so the next couple of days were just like me getting set up in the whole system where my bed, my roommates, my story, you know, sharing what I'm telling you right now, um, the other roommates and yeah, I mean, like that was just the whole process of like really being indoctrined into their pro into their process of like, you know, this is where you're going to be for the next few months. So like, this is it. Like the doors aren't locked. You can leave, but like, if you leave, this will affect your court case. This will affect your life. It's your choice. I was like, Oh no, I'm staying. Thank Yeah. No, thank you. I'm, I will be staying. And, um, you know, it was just getting used to the routine of, of rehab where it was like, you wake up at, you know, six 30 because you got to be downstairs for morning meditation at six 45 on the dot. And if you're not, you will lose privileges. So it's like, okay, that's, that's new, but I'm in. And so, yeah, every, every morning for two months, we were up at 645 down there reading out of the, you know, the AA book. And, um, it was just like, it just became my life. I mean, it, it was like, it was really hard at, at first, like the first, um, you know, a couple weeks to get used to everything where it was like, you know, I'm not going out. I'm not doing anything. I'm not even working. I'm just doing this group therapy in the morning and then facility therapy and then one-on-one -on -one therapy and then housemate therapy. I mean, you were nonstop doing the work because they want you to break out of your old self and become this new you. And so that's, that's what I work. You know, I realized by the second week that I was supposed to be in rehab. I was, I was supposed to be there. There was a reason that I was there and that I need to embrace this program to the fullest. So that's what I did is like, I really, dove into it i mean i shared with everybody every aspect of my life every you know nook and cranny every scared thought that i ever had in my life every happy thought i mean i went in because i finally found a group of people that 
we're all on the same page. Like we're all hitting bad rock bottom and that's why we're here. So like, why not support each other in this time of like growth and need for it? So like those guys became my brothers, you know what I mean? Those guys were like family to me and you know, the, the few times that I watched some of the guys relapse in rehab, like go out and score drugs or alcohol on the street or liquor store and, you know, have to start all over again or go all the way back to detox or get kicked out of the program or just leave the program. I just was like, all right, well, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to keep doing, keep my, my work going because like, I, I can't risk messing this up because this is like life or death for me. So like I, I need to actually be involved with this. And so the two months went by, it was great. It was a really great experience. Um, you know, I, I graduated from my program and uh, was able to return to life for a little bit because it was still COVID when I got out of rehab and there was still so much of that going on that I got a job at REI and I worked there for like a year and a half. And, you know, I mean, we worked through COVID, the whole thing, masks, the whole nine yards. And then, you know, when the, during that time, there was already world isolation. And so I just kind of like isolated myself too, because it was just what happened. You know what I mean? There really weren't even concerts or anything going on. And so after that, I mean, I was able to slowly return to life, but <clears throat> the court system was still so tied up with everything that every six months that I went to go, you know, turn myself in for jail time because it, right after rehab, I guess I should backtrack for two seconds. I did get sentenced to um, a revoke and reinstatement of my probation, which is where you just start over. You're terminated and you just start over. Had to do it to, through two different counties. And I mean, all in all, probably through all of it, I mean, because I just got off probation in July of this year. So you can kind of put two and two together that it's like been a journey of of all of it together where even when I got out of rehab, I was still on probation, facing one to five years in prison. And because I went to rehab, successfully graduated, had no dirty UAs up until my court date, 
they reduced it down to the minimum sentence by law of 60 days. Hmm. So yeah, that one to five year sentence went out the window and down to 60 days. So every six months I had to report to the court because I was supposed to turn myself in for jail time. Now that didn't happen for three years because even after COVID people still were tied up in the legal system with everything that had happened during COVID. And so they just always sent me back home and were like, yeah, we're not really opening the jail to nonviolent criminals. So we'll see you in six months, Mr. Romaine. And then they just this year, this just this year opened up the jail to nonviolent offenders. So I was supposed to be doing work release, but I calculated my date wrong and turned myself in late. So when they took my ID for my work release at the clerk's counter, three deputies came up behind me and shackled my ankles and my wrists to my waist and told me that I was under arrest because I had been a failure to appear is what they is what they call it so i saw a judge the next day and they said that yeah you're just going to do 60 days starting now of straight jail time so that just happened in may of this year where i you know spent two months straight in adams county the Adams County Jail. And, do um, you know, that was an experience within itself just because of the culture, the way that things ran. You know, it was kind of like a dark version of rehab where it was like <clears throat> everybody's sober, but it's six times the amount of people that you're around because I was in a pod with like 62 men and then everybody's waiting out waiting to get out of jail so then they can go party yeah there's not one single person that's really trying to change their life like yeah there is a couple for sure but when I say not one single I mean like the the stats are just not really there and even the people that want to change their life there's some ulterior motive where you're just like, I don't know about any of this. And so I, you know, I mean, I will say I met a few good eggs, you know, there, there were some good times in a really dark place. You know, there was some Bible studies or other moments of just like really reflecting on, you know, grounding into the moment meditating, calling out to spirit, exercising the right to just realize that you may be in a locked 
cage, but you can't, your, your mind isn't. So if you, if your mind isn't in jail or in prison, and obviously that's impossible because you're seeing jail all around you, but I'm saying like not letting the thoughts or the trap really get to you, then you'll, you'll be, you'll be okay. It's, it's not the, it's not the end of the world, but yeah, I mean, still, that was the last part of my probation where everything else was kind of the same thing that I had already done over and over again. And even going to jail for my second DUI, it was for work release. So you get out every single day and you get to go work and then you come and sleep at the jail. Like this was straight up, you know, in the stripes, no outside food. I saw sunlight three times the whole time I was there. Um, you know, it was, it was just an experience that <clears throat> I think has changed me for the better because it really was the final piece of everything that I had gone through. That was like the hardest part. And once I got out, I got off probation I got my breathalyzer taken out of my car. I got my driver's license back. I mean, I got a really solid job after I got out of jail. And I just realized my true potential because I finally wasn't having to deal with somebody or something or a group of people or a government official or parties have their thumb on my pulse anymore. You know, it's like the, the, the actual relief. I, I understand when now when people are in trouble for so long, that like, it'll eat, it'll eat you up unless you just <clears throat> really do the mental work to, to put it through. And so that's why I, just decided to like, you know, really start reaching out to different organizations and helping addicts and other people who struggle with just the fact that they want to change their life and start, you know, really putting forth to have a real life for the next few years or several, you know what I mean? Several years. And so what I mean is whether you're older or you're younger or you're in the middle, it doesn't really matter because like you now have the time now to, to, to start really focusing on things that mean a lot to you. So like, that's, <clears throat> that's where I look at it now is that, I now have the opportunity to become my most optimal self. Okay. So we're going to, let's, let's start wrapping things up here, Brian, but I want, I want to kind of finish uh, your story in terms of where you're at current day. Right. So um, we have some mutual acquaintances. Mike Adela uh, actually is the one that uh, connected us through email. He's been on the podcast, a couple of the podcasts I've had and, and Eric Kinman. So I just want to kind of finish your story in our conversation today, uh, Brian. 
in regards to um, you, you are what you eat socially. So how have you uh, from like, you know, uh, this past spring getting out of jail for the last time, just touch on, you know, quickly how you've kind of determined in your heart, your soul, and your mind, like, Hey, I'm going to do things differently so I can reach my fullest potential as a human. Can you just touch on that, uh, briefly for us, if you don't mind? Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, for me, it's very simple because nowadays I am three years sober from alcohol. Those three years really compounded me to quit using other hard drugs that I was using designer drugs and other substances that I paired with alcohol because like I said earlier, my inhibitions were always lowered enough where those decision-making factors always went out the window. So every year I've learned a new thing about myself after getting sober from alcohol that first year was my value my my worth my self awareness of how valuable i am on this planet in the most selfless way possible because i understand how much i matter and how much my family and my loved ones care about me my second year was the nutrition following up with I was a I was at one point in time a butcher in my life and now I have more relationships with farmers and ranchers and beekeepers people who have all the holy trinity of things that nutrition as food have helped heal me mm. in many ways because of the damage that I did to my organs that I've now reversed a lot of things with nutrition supplements, other things that taken on the daily have really helped me out a lot. Shout out to glutathione, but um, this final year final being the final year of probation the final year of dealing with the court systems, the final year of jail time, all of the sticky situation that I was very much in for five whole years is the potential to grow myself and my community with everybody around me that supports me because I understand now what it's like to have a team of people, you know, um, my girlfriend is one of the most supportive people I've ever met in the world. My current girlfriend where we've recent relationship that has blossomed into the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. So her support along with the friends that I've gained through Mike and Eric. And again, shout out to both of those guys because they were the first two people I met last December that snowballed everybody I've met now and the community of people I've met now, because 
if I hadn't have ever met those two and taken the retreat that I did with them in December of last year, that would have shown me the light and the way and the path to treating myself right with daily movement and getting my body right, recovery, nutrition, all the things that I've learned in the past couple of years are now summing up and leveling up those things because obviously I'm always here to learn more. And that's where the talking less, listen more, because I learn, I learn more knowledge. I learn more things about self, but now is where it starts of the compound interest of, I have the tool bag. I have the tools. Now it's time to carry the weight and do the work. Excellent, man. Um, what's what's kind of uh, to to wrap it up here? And I will give you the the final uh, word before I do the outro here, uh, Brian. But to kind of wrap it all up, do you have kind of like a a, a future vision? Uh, in terms of your life or the direction that you are going with your life? And if so, um, would would you be willing to kind of share that with us? Like, what what are you chasing after? What are you pursuing? What are you, mm-hmm. what are you working on in terms of, of that future, uh, Brian Romaine? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so yeah, like right now, I still work at Bonfire Burritos because it's a great environment that is steady and is what is, you know, Uh, paying my bills as well as keeping me happy because it's a job that I return to every day and I'm, I'm happy about doing it. Um, But with that being said, what I'm chasing after is creating a community of people that are on the same page as growth as me, because here in like six months, I'm going to be buying a sauna um, I have two cold plunge ice barrels coming in the next like week or so. And, you know, I joined a gym that my buddy Bobby, shout out to my buddy Bobby that got me hooked up on this gym and this community that's very close to my home. So I have a meat delivery business that I deliver people produce and local meat through. I'm trying to build more of a community of people that want to go in on animal shares, want to learn how to cook together. I'm teaching people how to cook steaks and other cuts of meat and roasts and other butcher cuts that will be valuable for them nutrition wise and just in general i'm working on a really simple cookbook that is going to have like very simple recipes for people that can follow and an easy easy ways to cook nutrient dense food and so what i'm really chasing after is the the freedom to be able to build that community and whether 
<clears throat> you know, because uh, on the 16th, Mike's going to be leading an event at Black Lab Sports in Boulder with Full Circle Events. They're a company that I have friends that, st- that my friends started Full Circle Events, a group of my buddies that I've joined up with to help activate and promote different brands that are in the wellness community that we bring to different gyms to do a workout, sauna, ice, contrast therapy. You get free supplements, you get education, community. So being able to have routine of being able to do that and have the freedom to do it, I think there'll be something out there in the stars that aligns that I'll be able to monetize because I still want to be a part of my bonfire community with the golden folk and help out with their social media and other, you know, things. Cause like when I leave that job at one point, I never want to leave that community. I still want to keep building with that community of people and whatnot, but I know that there's going to be something that catches fire in the next year or so that we'll have to do something with meat shares, ranchers, relationships with food, connecting people with those relationships and building relationships, people to people, food to food, item to item, way to prepare it so that people aren't as afraid of taking care of themselves and that we can shy away from people who are, you know, just caving in to microwavable processed, easy junk food that looks like food, tastes like food, acts like food, looks like it just, it's not food. So I'm really trying to connect relationships with food and people and community and contrast therapy. And I think that all stems back to building your best day ever, which is kind of something I learned from Eric, Eric Hinman, where it's like, if I can build my best day ever around working out community, helping people, connecting people. And if that's going to, pay my bills too, then I'll, I'll share that with the whole world. So it's like, that's, that's my grand grandiose. Super cool. Uh, Brian, what a, what a, what a story, man, what a journey. And like you said, man, you're only 32. I'm only 36. Uh, God willing, we've got a lot of years ahead of us, man. And I really resonated with what you said kind of at the beginning of, of, uh, you know, our conversation in terms of you feel like you're, you're kind of just getting started. I'm, I'm the same way, man. Like I've lived a lot of life in 36 years. Uh, I feel like I've accumulated a lot of wisdom and life experiences, but I'm, I'm excited for the next 36, like you're excited for the next, uh, 32 on, on your end, man. So, um, great story. Uh, I, I really want to say thank you so much for being candid with us and, uh, really, uh, not holding anything back, man. Cause that's, that's really the where the power is at in human stories when we're just vulnerable, we're candid, and uh, we just keep it real with each other. So thank you so much, Brian. Now, before I do a quick outro and I get you out of here, my man, um, 
what do you want to what do you, what do you want to share with us in closing? Maybe a parent, um, you know, a grandparent, maybe somebody's you know struggling with a loved one that's maybe in a similar situation that you were in the past with the addictions and things like that, or maybe mm-hmm. somebody's going through that right now or just coming out of it. Um, I just want to give you the final say, the final words in terms of whatever you'd like to put out there uh, in the world, just to encourage people. And then I'll do a quick outro and we'll, we'll wrap it up. So platform is yours, Brian. I appreciate that. And again, thank you so much for having me on your Quentin. This was the first opportunity I've had uh, that I feel like will be many to share this, this story again and versions of the same story because I feel like being honest with my story is the most helpful thing. And anybody out there that is struggling, I feel like is not alone. You know, it's a generic thing that you definitely hear a lot of, but I feel like it's not really like said compounded enough where the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that has ever happened to you. And so if you look at that as a scalable thing, there's a lot of ups from that point. And I think that there's not enough people that get told when they're in their like rock bottom of time that there is plenty of room for you to get out of that wedge get out of that hole, get out of that situation. Because whether it's something like mine or stories that I heard when I was in jail of guys that got their kids taken away, their families torn apart from, you know, addiction and drugs and alcohol and choices and DUIs and court and all that you know, it's still possible to get all those things back. If you try hard enough and you put in enough effort, you can get the things that you've lost back because the things that I lost, I've been able to regain in tenfold and I've been able to see the potential now of the growth from from those things, from the struggle of being, of having them being taken away. So I think that I would just leave with, you know, it's, it's almost like everybody's situation is the same because we all need help when it comes to those deeper situations. So don't ever be afraid to share and ask people for the opportunity to get help because then you'll be able to see what's next and see what's, you know, what, what the potential you have to, to do what you want to do. Because I think in these situations, people are able to finally see what really makes them click and what makes them happy. And so, you know, it's like, you're able to finally see, the the light at the end of your tunnel so that's that's what i would leave with is that you know you're you're really never alone in these situations and you're able to definitely definitely 
the hardest thing you're going to do is ask for help. And everything else gets a lot easier from there. Beautiful. Perfect. If somebody wants to reach out to you, connect with you, Brian, how, how can they do that? Or what's the best uh, means for that? Yeah. So right now the best means for me would be um, social media via Instagram. I'm not really that active on my Facebook. And if people want to find me, they can find me at Brian underscore Waterleaf because my last name's Romaine. So play on words. That's, that's my Instagram personal handle. And then my meat business handle is the local block, but it's the underscore local underscore block. And um, yeah, I mean, other than that, it's pretty much just DM me if you have any questions that regard anything that came up in this podcast or came up during a thought that you had of our conversation, like any of it, I'm willing to talk to people about anything from my past, my struggles, my addictions, all the way up to current stuff that I'm doing that is community-based workouts, sauna, cold plunge, health, wellness, food, nutrition, local meat, local produce, all the above. I'm down to talk about the dirty and the clean. (laughs) I like it. Um, and then one final thing you mentioned, uh, Mike's, uh, 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 event or whatever. Can you just kind of, cause I have a lot of people on the podcast that are in the Denver area and probably I'm assuming a lot of people from that Denver area that, that listen to the podcast. So if somebody mm-hmm. wants to go to that event in Boulder, can you kind of give us more of the details on that quickly here, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. So just go follow Full Circle Events on Instagram. I'm pretty sure it's full.circle.events. And um, yeah, that's the best way to do it because they'll tell you all of the calendar events. They'll tell you when they're happening, what states, because we've already done one in New York, one in Austin, and now a few here in Denver. And so they're growing Mike just happens to be, you know, with us in here in Colorado. He's based out in Boulder, Black Lab Sports. That's all one word. There's no, you know, uh, upper or lower uh, underscore dots. Just Black Lab Sports. And they're hosting our next one in Boulder. So Mike's going to be doing, I think, like a handstand and other workshop event there. And then... Yes, continue to follow myself. Uh, you can follow Sean Greenspan, Bobby Capo Bianco, Full Circle Events. You can follow Jensen Cole Butler. That's the other guy that is doing it. Or Dominic Fusco. You know, those guys are all involved with, with everything. And just DM me. Just DM me about getting in, in just simply interested in Full Circle Events questions about if you have somebody who's struggling or if you just need some information on local produce or local meat i'm here for everything excellent all right brian i'm going to do a quick outro and then i'll get you out here once again man thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with all of us okay yeah thank you so much for having me on quentin it's been absolutely such a pleasure All right, all of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate all of you 
I value all of you and I would love to connect with you if you'd like to connect with me. A couple of places that we can connect, uh, Instagram, Curious and Canon Podcast. You can also reach out to me through email, curiousandcanonpodcast at gmail.com. Before you guys, uh, before we uh, wrap up this conversation with Brian, if you guys would do me a huge favor and please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes and leave a five-star rating review, I'd greatly appreciate that. And if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, uh, you can catch you can check out my website, which is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. Again, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Curious and Candid with Brian Romaine. We'll catch you guys next time. <laughs>